0: Gracious Father, we come to you this morning uh, to confess, confess our great need for your grace moment by moment, confess that we are frail, we are weak, and we are prone to wander. We still struggle with sin, and yet our hearts hate it, and we ask that you would strengthen us to hate it ever more poignantly, to hate it um, and to search our hearts, and to assess our walk, and to strive to be vessels that are continually being purified, that's our heart's desire, we lay our motives, we lay our every, our, our every aspect of our being before you, um, that you may search us. That we may know you rightly and more fervently, more passionately, more purely day by day until you bring us home to glory. So would you strengthen us? Would you give us capacity to know you more fully? That we might walk worthy of our calling, that we might be light and that we might carry the gospel well. And that we would not be um, slothful servants. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, this morning we come to the end of chapter 18 in the book of Acts. That's verses 24 through 28. And we meet at the beginning of what's going to be Paul's third missionary journey. We meet uh, a fellow Jew named Apollos. He's a Hellenistic Jew and is uh, um, kind of a character out of the blue. In the book of Acts, it just pops up and we're in a part of Acts where we're we're looking at the transition, that reality of, of Jewish Christians coming to faith and moving away from Judaism. And in this section, we'll continue the same kind of type of things will be happening in chapter 19. So I believe that uh, the Holy Spirit. Put these little elements here in Acts, just remind us. We see several Jewish Christians in that context, in that time, transitioning uh, awkwardly at times. Even the Apostle Paul we looked at uh, on last Lord's Day, kind of awkwardly with the vow, transitioning into a full following of Christ. Um, And so I I believe the Spirit put these uh, moments here, captured in this book of history for us, to help us, of course, but to and in at least a, a superficial sense to be a reminder that uh, it's a process and it's a transition time moving from the old covenant and establishing the new covenant. And I believe in a very practical way for us also to be reminded how we should look at the book of Acts. Again, people get in a lot of trouble when they go to Acts and they try to ground themselves and doctrine and then make it make it live out in a consistent manner. When Acts doesn't afford that to us, Acts is a book of history that speaks about transition, moving from the, the old covenant to the new, moving away from Judaism for the Jewish believers who were central to the book, and then it's spreading to Gentile believers uh, and moving to a all the way to Christ and a full following of Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah. Well, that said, we're going to catch uh, Apollos here, and we see Apollos in transition. And again, the book is a book of transition, particularly for the Jewish believers. It was this awkward kind of difficult time of Jewish believers moving out and away from Judaism and coming all the way to Jesus Christ and a full-fledged following of Christ and Christ alone. Now, Judaism was pervasive in their lives. It was everything. It permeated every, literally every aspect of their lives. Now we know this should be, this should be true of all Christians. The Christian faith should, should permeate every aspect of our lives, but it doesn't remind us so much in uh, ritual. It's not so much ritual for us. It's the very fiber of our hearts as it breathes out Christian truth to us and how we go about our daily lives and whatever that may entail. But the external rituals are certainly not the same as we look at them in the Old Testament Judaism. And so the rituals were there. We know um, for type and shadow. And we're going to come across Apollos who, who actually recognized that. He recognized all of the Old Testament rightly. It's all type and shadow and it's pointing to the promised Messiah. All the Old Testament teaches us about a Messiah that is to come. And Apollos recognizes that he is a deep deep uh, um, uh, a, per, a person that's deeply nurtured in the Old Testament scriptures he knows them inside and out and he's a eloquent man, a learned man and he knows his Old Testament and unlike many Jewish people in his day, he sees the big picture he understands the Old Testament is pointing ultimately, to John the Baptist as the final prophet, and then John the Baptist's message of a coming Messiah. So Apollos is right there. He's got that down pat. He just doesn't know exactly who the promised Messiah is. Okay? So he's a unique character here that we're going to find in Acts. And and, um, he needs credit for seeing things rightly because many Jews in that day, look at the Old Testament, and they didn't see it rightly, did they? How do so many of them, believe, looking at their at their texts, believe they would find their way to heaven, find their way into right, right relationship with their God? What do they believe? What do they have to do to be made right with God? The rituals, yes, the keeping of the law, and including all of the externals. Law keeping. Well, if I just keep the law, good enough. I might make it, and obviously that was not the message. And we think about. Um, some of our brethren, they're passing out or passing on from um, these rituals, these externals of Judaism into a full following of Christ. Again, I hate to pick on Peter, but I'm using my by way of example. Again, just think about Peter here. We're looking at Paul and we're looking at Apollos and some of the struggles here. Think about Peter. So in Acts 2, Peter's preaching this glorious sermon, uh, sermon here. I remember back to Acts 2 and he stands there and he's, and he's preaching in the temple. He's preaching uh, there in the portico. and and this glorious reality of the cross and the crucified Savior and and the powerful preaching there. And then we track him all the way to Acts 10, and he gets the vision, right? Now we're going to carry it to the Gentiles. This guy's a follower of Christ. He's a genuine Jewish follower of Christ. He's a point point apostle here. And so he, he sees this vision of the Lord, very clear vision. Uh, When the the sheep comes down with all the animals, and here's this uh, practicing Jew that has never eaten anything unclean according to the traditions of Judaism. And so the imagery there is to tell him what in the big picture. Now, this is a beautiful word picture here. It's to tell him, hey, look, there's going to be no distinctions in the church. And, and you know, Jewish people would need to know this, right? Jewish believers. Because Judaism set them apart. There were distinctions. And there were external distinctions. They were very clear. They were marked off. Uh, Dietary distinctions were probably the most prominent. That's what probably separated them the most uh, significantly from the Gentile world. What kept them from really interacting and kind of uh, going and and crossing over, culturally speaking, was the dietary laws, right? If you're going to cross culture, what's the most exciting, practical way to do it? Food, right? Food doesn't, man. And so that was a big barrier. But now we get to Acts 10, and here, here's an example from Peter. Just, he's already preached these powerful sermons about the, the, the Christ that is that is open to the Gentiles, that has come for, to, to save those among the world, among the nations. And then he gets the vision, and Christ says to him in the vision, Peter, take and eat. In other words, you know, Nothing's unclean. There's no distinctions within the church. That's the that's the the teaching. But individually, says take and eat. And what does Peter say? No. no, Lord. And this is he's telling the Lord. This is what God has told him to do. And he says it because he's so tied to his traditions. Even at this point in the game, he says no three times. Right, three times. Christ has to speak to him in a vision to get his attention, to understand the foundational truth that is central to our very being. There is no distinctions in the church. We are all hidden in Christ. We are in Christ or we're outside of Christ. We're in Christ with eternal hope of glory or we're outside of Christ with God's righteous wrath bearing down on us. And there's no ethnic lines. There's no cultural lines. There's no geopolitical lines. There's no social lines. None of that matters. It's all wiped away. By the way, that's why the woke movement cannot permeate the church. It's a death nail. It's a death nail at this point right here. We are all equal and united in Christ. That's the picture of the body. The cornea, the fellowship of the body, has no distinctions. And here, they're working their way out of that reality of understanding there are no distinctions in the body of Christ. And Apollos has to learn that as well. And Peter had to learn that kind of the hard way there. And there's an example from Peter where he would actually deny what Christ is speaking to him because he's so steeped in these traditions. But mind you, we cannot take the book of Acts. All that said, we cannot take the book of Acts, a book of transition, a book of a historical telling of the transition from the old covenant the new covenant we cannot take it and adopt from acts this notion of complete theological consistency so that's one reminder that we can have right up front it's very easy we have to be careful with acts and understand how to read it and understand contextually uh, where it's coming from it reveals the historical account of the old covenant giving way to the new covenant and so there is not a consistent theological, complete theological consistency found in the book of Acts. When we try to nail those things down and build off of them in Acts, we get in lots of trouble. Right. Well, that leads us to Apollos. Let's look at him and see here in verses 24 and 25 that he was instructed in the way of the Lord. So, again, Apollos is a Hellenistic Jew. He's from Alexandria. Alexandria is the capital of Egypt at this time. And by this time, Alexandria has taken over Athens really as the the intellectual hub of the world. So that Athens was kind of the the, the grandfather there. And now as time has rolled on and Athens is a little long in the tooth, Alexandria at this point in time and context here has kind of risen up as the intellectual hub of the world. So, there was a Jewish philosopher there at the time when Apollos was there. His name was Philo. And he was famous for sort of uh, developing a, a Hellenistic Judaism, a Judaism that was very um, uh, steeped in Hellenistic philosophy. So he kind of blended the two, and he was a well-known philosopher there and may have had some influence on Apollo, Some something. So certainly the timeline would work for that, but he was quite the thinker, quite the philosopher. And yet he had an, ele- an allegorical view of scripture. And he would kind of interface those uh, aspects together and had some really interesting thoughts and concepts there that may have influenced Apollo's. Nonetheless, Out of all of that, Apollos was able by the mercies of God to put together the Old Testament. And he may have had some of John the Baptist's followers make their way down. We don't know definitively, but make their way down to Alexandria and had an influence on him. That's possible. And we don't know exactly why he shows up in Ephesus, but we're going to see that he does. Possibly business. Uh, but nonetheless, he had a habit of going into the synagogues and teaching and debating the synagogue leaders, much like Paul, concerning the reality of the Old Testament. And he was already up to the point of saying, John the Baptist is what all is the one all the Old Testament points to. And John the Baptist has proclaimed, has proclaimed that a Messiah is coming. Prepare yourself. Much like John the Baptist would say, his baptism that he knew was a was baptism from John the Baptist saying what? Be be baptized in repentance, and repentance of a preparation, prepare yourself, purify yourself, cleanse yourself in preparation for the Messiah who is to come. So up front, you need to know that. That's where Apollos is right now as a Hellenistic Jew. That's what he believes. And he actually goes around now. We see him at least in Ephesus. And he's going to go into the synagogue there and he's going to proclaim that. He's going to talk to these guys about that reality. So let's look there with me. Uh, Beginning in verse 23, or excuse me, verse 24, and we'll look at verse 24 and 25. So now uh, a Jew named Apollos of Alexandria by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. Being acquainted, here we go, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. So very interesting character here. He was speaking eloquently with a vast knowledge of the Old Testament Scripture. that's what they're talking about here. When he said the Scriptures here in this context, that's the Old Testament. Okay, he doesn't have the New Testament. (laughs) That's still coming, isn't it? So contextually here, he's in the Old Testament, but he's a learned man. He has... A wealth of knowledge concerning the Old Testament. He's an eloquent speaker and he has a fervency in what he is teaching here. But he has to be marked off in this sense. He only knew the baptism of John. Now that is the baptism of John the Baptist. The baptism of repentance in anticipation of the Messiah who would come. Now, let me say this up front just a little more about his um, the capital city there of Alexandria, where he came from. Christianity has been there for a long time. The the earliest text, the earliest New Testament text that we have comes from where? It's been there a long time. And, And again historically, folks have said that maybe some, uh, uh, some followers of John the Baptist came down and sort of introduced Christianity first there. Uh, there's debate questions It's not exactly sure. But one thing we know historically from, Alexandria, from, the, from the very beginning, there have been major holes in some Christianity there. Now, is there, is there a solid Christian truth? Yes, I mean, we got the scriptures from there. Is there solid Christianity that's been planted in Alexandria from way back in the first century? Yes, there is but there have been parts of the Christian experience in Alexandria that has major holes. And sadly, by the second century, century Gnosticism had permeated Alexandria. It had basically, it, was, it had overwhelmed the genuine truth of Christianity there by just sheer number. So it was ripe um, for deception. And sadly, within a century, Gnosticism pretty much, uh, pervaded that place but nonetheless the truth had uh, had set root there and it remains to this day although to this day as well there is uh, what's labeled as Christianity in that part of the world particularly in Alexandria and in uh, northern Egypt um, there are some deep deep holes and flaws in the theology there that's just a side note but um, when we think about Apollos here again a Hellenistic Jew well versed in the Old Testament, learned man, eloquent speaker, total package, really, if you think about it. He has the knowledge and he can deliver it. I mean, it's the kind of guy just, you know, you just, you're jealous of him. You know, it's one thing to just be learned, but you, know, but, but you have to be learned and a great speaker. And it can't just be learned and kind of aloof and out there in your ivory tower and nobody can understand you and you're just weird. No, not this guy. <laughs> he, he knows it all and he can break it down. He can break it down for us. He's got it all. He's a total package. He was exploding with Old Testament knowledge. Natural gift here. Now, of course, this is God-given. I mean, the man's wheels are turning faster than most. So that's a God-given gift. So God is at work here. But what y'all want you to understand is this is a natural gift. He's a naturally gifted speaker, and he is a learned man. He's studied. But these are natural capacities that he has. God-given, but natural. The man's not a Christian at this point is what I'm trying to say to you. And so his giftedness, of course, God is at work there, but this is not a man who has the power of the indwelling spirit residing within him at this point. You're just looking at natural gifts with his power to speech. So no power of the Holy Spirit, a natural ability. Now, later... He will have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And when that happens, the man sets the place on fire. I mean, he becomes a tremendous force, a tour de force for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a glorious thing to see. Uh, a couple of things just here. This just to the language and Paul talks about Apollos looking back. And Paul writes to the, to the Corinthians And he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. Now, he includes specifically Apollos in that work. see, he loved this guy. Paul loved Apollos. 1 Corinthians 16, 12, it says this. But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encourage him greatly to come to you with the brethren. Now, he's, he's talking to the Corinthians to come to you there in Corinth. And they had what? What's the tagline? I had to go back to Brother Mark's tagline. It's, just, it, it, it's, it, it's perfect for the Corinthians. That's a messed up in this, right, brother? They're messed up in this in Corinth. And Paul loved Apollos. He, said, he begged him to go back. He said, go back. And Apollos couldn't at that time. It didn't work out for him. He says, and it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has an opportunity. And he did. And Apollos had a great, great work there in Corinth but notice the language there in verse 25 so we see this this Jew Apollos we know he's from Alexandria and he comes to Ephesus we don't know exactly why but we know what he if he's if it's a, if he's a businessman he takes uh, the the opportunity within his travels to go to the synagogue we know that so this is part of his natural course and his fervency and his urgency to proclaim the truth as he understands it, being a follower of John the Baptist at this point. But notice there in verse 25 how he's described. He's a man that's been instructed in the way of the Lord. Now, instructed there is a term that comes to us, or that the term that comes to us translated instructed is um, katakato. Kata. Remind you of anything? Katakato, kata, kism. So that's how he's been instructed. He's been taught by repetition, oral repetition, question and answer, question and answer, over and over. So he's been instructed. He has studied. He has natural ability, but he's a studied, learned man. Now, when we get to this point, let me just compare because Apollo sort of shows up by the blue. So let's just let's make let's draw some lines. So he's not an apostle. He's a learned Jew. And he's, he has the Old Testament, not, not just um, um, he has a, a, a well-rounded grip on it in terms of just the bulk of it. No, he's connected all the dots. So he's not lost in works righteousness. He's not lost in the keeping of the law being uh, necessary for salvation. He's all the way to John the Baptist and he's waiting on a Messiah. So he gets it, but he's not an apostle. He's a learned man who studied and he has natural ability. Now, what's the difference between, say, Apollos and Paul, who is an apostle? An apostle of Christ that we're talking about. What's the difference? The indwelling spirit is the key difference. Now, Apollos is a learned man and he's been instructed. He's been instructed well in the Old Testament. He has it. He gets it. But what happened with Paul? Paul was instructed by who? Yes. Three years where? In Arabia, right? And so Paul had divine revelation given to him. He was inspired by divine revelation. Paul has been instructed and steeped in the Old Testament truth, and he gets it. But these men are are, are light years apart in, in one central reality, the power of the indwelling spirit. The Spirit of God has gone to work on Paul already and the fullest sense of his calling as an apostle of Christ. So the Spirit of God has taken away and ministered to him personally for years. And by the way, this is a guy that, that had this unique experience and still is still working his way out of just the Jewish rituals, the externals, man. That stuff, tradition, dies hard. So hold on to that. But now, you know, Apollos is on his same journey here. So he's not in the same boat as Paul, but he has some of the same background. And so he's on the same kind of journey. He's working his way in transition to a full following of Jesus Christ. Here's what it says about Paul. Paul' speaking there in Galatians, Galatians 1: 11 and 12, says this: "For I would have you know, brethren, the gospel which I would <clears throat> excuse me, the gospel, which was preached to me, is not according to man. There's the distinction for Paul. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there is a major distinction in the two that you need to just hold up front, okay? But Apollos takes the old scripture that he knows just within his natural capacity and his learning and and being a man that was educated and steeped in it. And he, by God's grace, is at a very good place, okay? A very good place. And he is... He is fervent about it. But what does Scripture tell us here? He was instructed, okay, but he was instructed in the way of the Lord. What does that mean? We think about Jesus. Don't we think about he was instructed in the way. He was instructed in the ways of Jesus. That's probably not the case here because he doesn't even know who Jesus is. So that's tough for him to know, be instructed in the ways of Jesus when he did not know about Jesus yet. And by the way, yes, the gospel has gotten all the way down to Ethiopia, but Alexandria, man, is sitting over here in Apollos is in a bit of isolation so he's up to John the Baptist but Jesus is someone he doesn't know about at this point so how can be how can he be instructed in the ways of the Lord well the ways of the Lord speaks in the Old Testament about God God the Father so Apollos knew the ways of the Old Testament he understood by instruction the things of God in the Old Testament. And he understood the things of God that ultimately pointed to John the Baptist and his message. Well, tell, let me just give you some language from the Old Testament that speaks of, well, uses this the way of the Lord or, or in terms of, of God, not specifying Christ, the second person of the Trinity, but God the Father. First book, Genesis eighteen nineteen, For I have chosen him so that his excuse me, I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep here we go the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him First Samuel which we're studying in our, our morning Bible study, first Samuel chapter twelve verse twenty three moreover, as for me, far be it from me. That I should sin against the Lord. Now he's talking about God the Father there, referred to as the Lord. The Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. And then particularly, let's run up to Isaiah because that's the prophet, right? Isaiah, uh, Isaiah prophesies about who? Who's key here Christ. for? Yes, Christ. Who's key here for uh, Apollo's and his thinking and his theology? Who's the last prophet? That's key for him. Where is he? What point is he up to? John the Baptist, right? Who prophesies about John the Baptist? It's Isaiah, right? Okay, listen to Isaiah 43. A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Now let's look at John the Baptist uh, ministry calling here, which was again given to us in Matthew 3. Verses 1 and 2. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, that repentance is a repentance of preparation. Okay. So Paulus understood the way of the Lord. He understood that it pointed to the narrow path leading to Jesus. But he understood up to the point, the narrow path leading to the one that John the Baptist would proclaim. Now we know that is Christ. And it says he had a fervent spirit there in verse 25. He had been instructed in the ways of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He was speaking and teaching according to the things concerning Jesus. And we'll we'll speak to that in just a moment. But but notice the fervent spirit here. Now that's his spirit. That's not the spirit of, of, of the Lord dwelling within him. That's his spirit. Speaking of him, so it's in other words, literally it means he was boiling within his spirit. The man had a passion. He had a fervent desire to communicate what he understood up to that point. He had a flaming heart. That's maybe the way we would say it in English. His heart was set aflame with this message. And he taught with eloquence. And he taught with exactness from the deep-seated conviction within his heart. So he was speaking and teaching accurately, precisely. In other words, he was connecting all the Old Testament dots. He was putting it all together. And he was very precise and exact in his teaching. And He was a great orator. He could eloquently express it. And it came from a deep-seated conviction within his heart. The man was genuine, forthright, sincere. Wow. And he was a fantastic communicator. So what was he speaking and teaching accurately? Well, he was speaking and teaching accurately things concerning Jesus. So we say, well, wait a minute now. But hold to this. Things concerning Jesus. And then you got to tack on this. Being acquainted only with the baptism of John. So what's going on here? Well, He knew God's way led to the ministry of John the Baptist. What he didn't know was the Messiah who John the Baptist was announcing. He didn't know that the Messiah who John the Baptist was announcing had already come. That's what he didn't know. So he's speaking accurately about Jesus in this sense. As he's arguing in the synagogue, he's coming. The Messiah's coming. coming. John the Baptist has told us to prepare our hearts, prepare ourselves in repentance, a baptism of repentance, to be prepared for this coming of the Messiah. And that's where his message ends. That's, that's the altar call for him right there. That's where it stops. That's all he's got. But he's right. He's absolutely right. He just didn't know that the Messiah had already come. He knew the baptism of repentance in anticipation of the coming Messiah. Luke 1, verses 16 and 17. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner. Now we're speaking about John the Baptist. A forerunner before him in the spirit of power, of the power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient, the attitude of righteous, of the righteous, so that to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's exactly where Apollos is at this point in his life. He's holding on to that repentance or that baptism of repentance to be prepared for the coming of the Lord, the message that John the Baptist has preached. So he didn't know the fullness of Jesus' acts on earth. He didn't know the baptism of the Spirit had come at Pentecost. He didn't know these things. He didn't know that the baptism of the of the spirit had come at Pentecost because of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He didn't know that. Now. A very straightforward application here as we kind of move on through the text and see what happens to Apollos is this man, you can have all kinds of natural gifts. You can have all kinds of knowledge concerning concerning the Scripture. You can have it. You can have it in spades. But it's not enough, is it? No. It's not enough. Right now, right here, when we catch Apollos right here in verse 25, he's short. He's short of glory. He's got a lot going for him, but he's short of a right relationship with God through the person and work. Of Jesus Christ, that's not enough for the Christian laborer. And the fear is always this. The 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 reality is always this. There are folks that sit in church pews, that sit in nice church chairs in certain uh, situations, and they know the scripture inside and out. And they may be gifted speakers. They may be gifted teachers. They may be gifted communicators. But they have never repented. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And you must. We cannot look at a to this point and not stop here and say, you must be saved. You must be saved. You must come to the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of your sin and believe on Christ to be saved. That must be true. You must know Jesus, not know about Him. You must know Him as Lord and Savior. There is no other hope. There is no other option. We can know the Scripture well. You got folks that sit in church that that are just lost. Yet they can tell the Bible stories, right? They can communicate them. They can communicate them with passion and eloquence, but they're lost. You must know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You must not just know about him. You must know him personally as your Lord and Savior. But that brings us gloriously to Apollos now being converted to Christ. Here's the good news. Here's the end of the story for Apollos. Look there beginning in verse 26 and we'll look through 28. It says, And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. Then, Now he's in Ephesus. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of the Lord more accurately. So here's our glorious uh, husband and wife there, friends to the Apostle Paul, stayed there in Ephesus, uh, working as tent makers, set up shop there. And now they have their house open right next to the synagogue. Again, pretty close by in proximity. They're going into the synagogue. They're still doing that, right? So this is their inaction. That's how they get you know, a, a foothold with some of the Jewish audience and some God fears. So they're doing the same thing that Paul did. We know they're going to open their house up to the church. There's going to be a church planted here. But meanwhile, as is, as is their habit now, going into the synagogue and interacting, they meet Apollos. So Apollos is in there engaging the synagogue leaders with his message. And so, you know, he catches a, a, a Priscilla and Aquila, I mean, obviously, this guy's an eloquent speaker and, you know, their, 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 their hearts had to be leaping for joy. Right. This guy's tearing it up. I mean, he's just this is this is beautiful. And he's, you know, Apollos would be able to take some of the nuances of the Old Testament rituals and, and, and ceremonies and customs and culture and shed light on it and bring it to bear. As relating to the promised Messiah in ways that, that we could, in our context right now, we wouldn't even be able to look back and get and, and be able to dig mine all those things out as much as we. I mean, the man just had it, he had it all together. He could beautifully tie these truths together. And so, here's Priscilla and Aquila, and they're just, you know, overjoyed. And he gets up to Christ and he just stops. And so, Priscilla and Quill, like, well, wait a minute. He's missing a few pieces to the puzzle. And so, what do they do? They take him out later, bring him off to the side, start ridiculing him. Oh, you sorry. narrow-minded, Big shot mouthy. You think you know it all? Do they start doing that? No. It's just bring him on over to the house. Let's have lunch together, brother we got some exciting news for you. See, that Messiah that you're talking about, what you're missing is he's, he's already come. Let us tell you who he is. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us tell you about his perfect life that he lived on earth, walking perfectly under God's law. He's the unique God man, born of a virgin living perfectly under God's law, identifying himself with fallen man that he might represent us as savior because he would go to the cross and he would die a vicarious death on the cross for all those who repent and believe on him. And there he would bear the sin debt of all our sins in his body. And there he would take his righteousness earned under the law and impute it into our account, declaring us justified before a holy God. And as validation of everything that he said about himself as being the unique God man, the promised Messiah, the only one that could save sinful man from the righteous wrath of holy God, he was resurrected on the third day, just as he promised, validating everything that he said about himself. And he now has ascended to the right hand of God the Father, where he awaits his people and promised glory. So that was a good lunch conversation, wasn't it? Now they fill him in. They just fill him in on what he had missing here. So they explained to him the way of God more accurately. They filled in the blank for him. What was missing? They, they took the few little puzzle pieces that was missing and just plugged them right in for him. Could you imagine? Could you imagine Apollos? I mean, here's this guy that has this passion. I mean, He is passionate about the ministry of John the Baptist. This, this call to be prepared for the coming Messiah. And all of a sudden, God brings him to this dear couple and they just lay it out for him. Could you imagine what it's like? It's hard. I just imagine like the, the Grinch, you know, when the Grinch heart explodes there in that little cartoon. That's what I think about Apollo at that moment. He hears the gospel and he's been so fervent about this without pieces of the puzzle. And now it's all laid out for him. He he had to just explode with joy. And he accepts it. He accepts it with humility. He accepts it with joy. He joins them. There's no edginess about this guy. There's no pretense about this guy. It's just a heart longing for the Messiah. And now he gets the good news. And explain it to him. So here's Jesus' earthly ministry. Here's the cross. Here's the resurrection. Here's the full indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Don't forget Pentecost. Now, you know, here's the reality. Here's the reality of, of what it means to be in Christ now, a genuine follow of Christ. Here's the reality of what it means to move all the way from Judaism to following Christ. Here's the indwelling Spirit of God in that fully indwells all His Father. Here's the establishment of the new so again, as they teach him more accurately, that, more accurately that's, that's literally an in, in exactness. They teach him exactly about the reality of Christ, exactly about the indwelling of, this, of the Holy Spirit, exactly about the reality of Pentecost, what has transpired there in space and time. They say to him uh, in exact language, this is what the Messiah who has come said about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They taught him exactly what it means to be a follower of Christ. And Apollos converted to Christ right there in that conversation as this lovely couple just brought him home after he poured his heart out in the synagogue and ripped it up to a point. And then in humility and tenderness, they brought him away. Not in arrogance. Not in showing this. They didn't, they didn't call him down from his high horse in the synagogue. they took him away, and they lovingly explained the rest of the story. Right? Isn't it beautiful? There was a, a very eloquent bishop in the Church of England back during the time of the English Reformation. His name was Hugh Latimer. Latimer. Um, he was converted to Christ. And he was later martyred for his faith. He was martyred with Nicholas Ridley. They were both burned at the stake. And at that moment, when they were, the flames were set and they were burned at the stake. Uh, Latimer spoke to Ridley, and what he spoke to Ridley was uh, this beautiful um, kind of kind of anthem, as sort of moved and propelled the Reformation forward there in England at that time. And Latimer said to Ridley as they were being burned for their faith, quote, Be brave, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day, by God's grace, light such a candle in England as I trust shall never be put out. And that became a theme, if you will, that propelled the Reformation forward there in England. What's not known uh, behind the scenes or not widely known is how um, Latimer came to faith. So he was a bishop. He had power. He had authority. Uh, And he was a very eloquent speaker. He He was a brilliant man, much like Apollos. But there was a little unknown little monk named um, in that, at that time named Little Bilney. You know why he's called Little Bilney? So Little Bilney was a believer and he desperately wanted to get the gospel to Latimer. And he didn't have a way to do it. He didn't have access to him because he was a nobody. But the bishops were required to hear the confessions of those under them. And so Bill and he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go in and confess to Latimer. And he'll have to hear me. And so he made an appointment to have a confession. And in the confession, he gave Latimer the gospel. He confessed the gospel of Jesus Christ to the bishop. And the bishop was converted right there in the confession. Isn't that glorious? In the same way, there was lesser um, regarded and Priscilla this little couple hidden away there in Ephesus and along comes this very powerful eloquent well known to some degree Apollos you know native to the scene here in Ephesus but well known in other places and they give him the gospel and man did he take off much like Latimer so too did Apollos take off with the gospel Later, Apollos would travel to Corinth and he would strengthen the brethren there. And he would enter the synagogues and he would literally destroy the Jewish leaders in debate. He would wipe them off the map. And he would do so by proving from Scripture that Jesus was the Christ. He would strengthen the church. He was a great gift to the church. Now, when we think about this, there's different kinds of people. That's what I want to get at here just for a the moment. There's different kinds of people and they're all needed in the body of Christ. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla were different than Apollos. Building was different. You know, Bilnia, and, and not just, it's not just always that there's, there's those who have status and, and those who are lesser known. It's not just that, but they're different. Bilnia and Vladimir were different in a myriad of ways. Apila, Priscilla and Aquila and, and Apollos were different in a myriad of ways. But they're all needed. There's two scenarios in church history where they were all needed. And that's always the case. We're different. God's given us different gifts, he's, he's, he's put us together in different ways. He's given us different contexts, He's given us different backgrounds to some degree. And one thing's for sure we all have a spiritual gift. That's what Scripture teaches us. Every genuine follower of Jesus Christ has a spiritual gift. Some may have more than one. But we have a spiritual gift. We're not all the same. The gifts are different. But they're all needed. So we all have a spiritual gift. And we all are needed in terms of using our spiritual gift in the body of Christ. Apollos, again, powerful teacher, evangelist, different style than Aquila and Priscilla. They were different. They were made up different. But what did Priscilla and Quila do? Well, they hosted the church in Ephesus. They opened their home to Apollos. They didn't rebuke him. But they gently communicated the gospel to him. They encouraged him. All had gifts in that scenario. and They all used them in different ways. They all used them for the good of the church and the glory of God. Now, if you're a truth of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God indwells you. And He grants you gifts as He pleases. Amen. You all have a spiritual gift. And your gift is needed right where you are. God has called you to this church, part of this body of Christ, and your spiritual gift is needed here. God has put you in this community right where you are uses you in whatever other capacity where you may travel or not travel and interact with whoever you may interact with. But God intends to use you in your spiritual gift right there, whatever that may be, right there. Now, if you neglect your gift, the church will be diminished. That's the way it works. Your gift matters. Your interaction matters. You're needed in that regard as a vessel of Jesus Christ working out of a context of of a gathered body in a certain space and time, with the spirit's gift given to you. So you may say, "Well, I don't know exactly what it is." Well, pray. That's okay. It's okay if you don't. We, we you should. So we'll keep. Work, so we should work on it. But if you don't, that's okay. What do you do then? In that case, ask. Ask Christ to show you your spiritual gift. Ask Christ to show you what you can do. Ask Christ to teach you to use your gift in the advancement of the gospel. Basic asking. This is, this, is, this is the beauty of the indwelling spirit of God who has gifted you. And we all need it. We have a different makeup. And now you see in this, uh, this little context here with Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila is a beautiful reminder here that there's difference and they're all used here. There's difference in believers. There's different gifting, but they're all used for the glory of God and the good of the church and the advancement of the gospel. So ask God to use you, to teach you to use your gift in the advancement of the gospel. And in doing that, then we apply that to the bigger picture and ask God to send out workers into the field, which would include you. So equip me, teach me, clarify my gift to to me and use me. Send me out and use me to advance the gospel as you send out others to use, so we, to use all of us because we're all needed in terms of being vessels of God to advance the gospel. Workers in, his, in, in God's vineyards are the means through which God works and bring about salvation among men. That's God's plan and we're part of it. Matthew 9, verses 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Therefore, but seeks the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. What you have seen here in Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila and a beautiful picture here in a weird context of Acts where uh, the new covenant is unfolding, is in transition. And we catch Apollos in some weird uh, realities of, of moving from Uh, um, being a follower of John the Baptist and not even knowing Christ yet, but knowing he was coming, anticipating his coming, and now having someone come come, come and explain the gospel to him and say, by the way, this Messiah has already come. Now that's strange, but it's glorious. And God used them all for his glory in this context. Again, a strange context, but a glorious one. And the same is true for us. God has gifted each of us and he uses us all in a context of bringing about his gospel among the nations. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you um, for this text. We thank you for your glorious work of salvation and how you have brought your truth among men and, and what you do with poor, frail vessels that you take us and you mold us and you shape us and you grant us your truth and you grant us the indwelling of the spirit uh, of God and you you gift us in ways that please you and you command us and commission us forth to love one another, be unified with one another in Christ and to, to live in that beauty and to go forth together in all our uniqueness uh, and all the uniqueness of our makeup As one body, the body of Christ, go forth and declare your glorious gospel. Would you give us strength? Would you give uh, clarity to uh, brothers and sisters here here who may be uncertain about their gifting? Um, Would you give clarity there? Would you move in their hearts and and grant um, a clear path forward to um, understanding how you intend to use them and how you intend to call them forth? to uh, be uh, vessels used for your glory and the carrying of the gospel. Help us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.